Our Old Testament reading this morning comes from Psalm 16. If you want to turn there with me, we're in the 16th Psalm. Hear then the word of the Lord. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my God. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Jesus went to his death with confidence. With true confidence. That doesn't mean uh, what we often think of as confidence. Right? A kind of braggadocious attitude. Something that's more like as if he were taunting those who came to arrest him or went to crucify him. He was challenging them. Something like that. That's, that's what sometimes we think of as confidence. But no, he showed confidence in that he had complete control of himself. Complete self-control. And that he didn't respond in kind to those who did taunt him. There were many around him that showed that kind of false bravado, that false confidence, right? Mocking him, jeering at him, right? He saved others. Why won't he save himself? That kind of attitude. But Jesus went quietly, hardly speaking at all, but totally confident in the Lord. He had said, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father. So you see, he knows that he will rise again. Psalm 16 is all about this. It's all about resurrection. Right? It shows that, that confidence that Jesus had going to the cross. Again, not... Not some kind of false confidence. He, he can have a true confidence. That is to say, true faith in the Father as he goes to the cross while still having to pray through bloody sweat and tears in the garden. But he had the confidence that we see in a passage like Psalm 16. It's not like what those have who trust in false gods or idols, right? Those who trust in false religions or idols, 
secular mantras or self-empowerment. Running after a false belief, we're told here, multiplies sorrows. Right? Maybe there's a kind of spiritual placebo effect that somebody can have for a time, but ultimately, that which is false only leads to sorrows. It all runs out. Eventually, false religions fail. Sorrows multiply. And if Jesus had a false confidence, a false faith, if he was wrong, if he was just a man believing in some kind of false reality, well, he would have died. The disciples would have been scattered. And maybe some of them would hold on some kind of belief for a time, but eventually it would just dissipate. Eventually it would run out. But that's not what happened. The psalmist here says that he will have no part in these false belief systems. Why? Because he says, the Lord is my portion. The Lord is my cup. Jesus went to his death with that confidence. I have set the Lord before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. You can hear the strength. I imagine a military commander on the battlefield looking forward at what seems insurmountable odds. Or maybe a sailor on a ship. Right? Maybe up on the mast looking out you see a storm coming. It's starting to blow in. The sky is completely darkened. Right? Rain is starting to pelt his face. And yet he just looks on. Right? Undeterred. Unafraid. Ready for what's to come. There's a hope Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. You get this idea of this spiritual strength, right? It starts in the heart and it fills out, it overflows. So he says, even my, my flesh, even my physical body is secure, right? The heart that trust in the promises of God has that confidence. Where does it come from? Right? Where, where is this coming from? Where is that strength coming from? It comes from this certain hope of resurrection. For because you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let the Holy One see corruption. Jesus knew he would not stay in the grave. He knew that he would face death, but in doing so, he would defeat it. And so he endured the humiliation for the joy that was set before him. As it says here, for pleasures forevermore at the right hand of the Father. Jesus lay down his life, but he knew that he would take it up again. And he did. He did. He is risen. If you'd like to turn with me in your Bibles, our Gospel reading comes from Luke chapter 24. You can find it in the Pew Bibles beginning on page 884. And we'll be reading verse 1 through 35. But on the first day of the week... At early dawn they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. 
and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. This is God's holy and 
inspired word for us this morning. You must have the eyes of your heart opened to truly see the resurrected Lord. That's what we see here. And the problem for modern man is not that there's not enough evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Of course, there's plenty of evidence. There's plenty of historical evidence for the resurrection. But evidence isn't what is missing for someone to believe. You must have the eyes of your heart opened to truly see the resurrected Lord. This story of these two disciples on the road to Emmaus is all about the Lord opening the eyes of those who still don't see. Those who still don't get it. Jesus was right in front of them and they didn't quite know it. At least not right away. As we delve a little bit more deeply into this story, I want you to think about to be meditating about whether or not you might be in a similar position. Do you recognize the resurrected Lord? Or do you still need Him to open your eyes so that you might truly see Him, that you might truly understand? So this is a story of spiritual blindness. It's not the kind of spiritual blindness that we see, for instance, in the religious leaders of Jerusalem that put Christ to death. They had a kind of of direct and open rebellion against Jesus, even when they knew that he must truly be who he said he was. Even when they knew that he may be the Messiah. And that sounds strange, maybe, Right? That they could do that if they knew. Part of that rebellion was demonic, but we know that they, they saw him heal. They saw him raise people from the dead. They heard what he taught about himself. All the while, their response to that was that they needed to kill him. Right? That's a kind of direct and obstinate rebellion That is a kind of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. What these disciples have as they walk the road to Emmaus is very different. But it's still a kind of blindness. It's a a kind of spiritual blindness or what you might call a spiritual malaise. They're confused. Part of them believes, right? Part of them just doesn't understand what's going on what the Lord is doing, if they had it all wrong the whole time. So they have these doubts, these insecurities. And the way that Jesus reveals himself here is very telling. He doesn't show up and say, it's me, right, I'm here. Instead, he lets them continue their journey, continue on this path, but he walks with them. And slowly, he makes himself known to them. The text specifically says he drew near to them. That's how it starts. It all starts with him drawing near to them. If you want to follow Christ, if you truly want to do so, 
Right? You want to know him, but there's still these questions or doubts. Right? You just don't understand something about him, something about the life that he has given you, the things that he's put you through. Know that this is what Jesus is like. He, he will draw near to you. It does not mean, though, that you will immediately recognize that fact. It doesn't mean that you'll immediately recognize his presence. But over time, if he is drawn near to you, over time you will. It will be made known. Now we're told in the story that their eyes were, were kept from recognizing him right away. We know that it wouldn't be enough if they simply recognized him physically with their eyes. If they just saw that it was him. Because there were many who saw him physically. The Lord in the flesh, but still didn't believe. There were many who walked with him day after day. Think of Judas, who betrayed him. Who saw all of his miracles. Heard all of his teaching. And still betrayed him in the end. So there's, there's a need for something deeper than just physically seeing him. There is a heart change that has to take place. He doesn't allow them to recognize him, but he stays with them. He's still with them the whole time. And instead of teaching them right away, what we might think, again, he'd show up and just say, Here's what you need to know. Instead, he asks him questions, which is just like him. Right? This is what he does, what we see him do throughout the Gospels. What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk, he says. And after they explain, they, you know, he says, what are you talking about? And they're shocked. Right? And of course they would be shocked. Because everyone knew the story of Jesus. He had a, a massive following. He healed people. He cast out demons everywhere that he went. I mean, it seems like almost everybody in Jerusalem had a demon, and he cast them all out. Even though sometimes we think that maybe, you know, this is just a small place, there's not a lot of people there, maybe not a lot of people knew about Jesus. No, throughout Jerusalem, everybody knew of him, had heard of him, they knew something about him anyway. Everyone knew about this man that claimed to be the son of God and what he had done. And now that he was killed, everyone knew that when he died, the sun was darkened for three hours. Like that the curtain of the temple that led to the Holy of Holies was torn in two at the very time of his death. So they're understandably shocked when this man on the road asked them, what they're talking about. What's going on? And who do they say that Jesus is? Right? What do they say about him? Well, he was a prophet, they say. Like Isaiah or Jeremiah or Elisha before him. He played the role of a prophet as those who had gone before him. And this was particularly striking. This is one of the reasons that so many people knew about Jesus was because the, the prophets had been silent for quite some time since the time of Malachi until the time of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist says, 
this one who comes after me. He is greater than me. They say he was mighty in word and deed before God and all of the people. Right? Speaking to his miracles and the way that he taught with such authority. People could tell that he had an authority, even more so than their own religious leaders. And they didn't know where that came from. They didn't understand it. But he said that he had received it from the Father in heaven and spoke only that which he was given from his Father. They also then speak of his death, that the rulers of Jerusalem gave him up to be crucified, that he died, that he was buried. And they're giving what is a part of the Christian confession, right? The thing that we believe. They're almost there. They've got most of it. He was died. He was buried. And here, now, he's been dead three days. It's the third day. And this is where the story catches up to them. Right? On that very morning, they say that the women had gone. They had found the tomb empty. They had seen angels. They didn't really believe it at first. No one believed what they said. They felt that they had to go investigate themselves. They say, well, and they did. They went and they found the tomb empty. But what do they say at the end? But him they did not see. Him they did not see. There's still something missing. And he told them this was going to happen. He's now gone and angels have declared it. But they still don't get it. Right? There's still something in the way of them believing. Can you relate to that? Right? We have the words of Jesus. The empty tomb is there. There are reports from others that they think he must have been raised. But it still doesn't still doesn't click. There's still a kind of uncertainty and questioning. But him they did not see. There's still that element of spiritual blindness that must be dealt with. And now when Jesus speaks, he speaks pretty sharply about it. Verse 25, And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe, all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. You have to wonder what they were thinking at this point. Right? Because he has just said, what are you talking about? Right? Who is this Jesus that you speak of? And now, once they get done telling him a little bit, then he goes off teaching them from all of the scriptures, all about the Messiah. He says that the Messiah was always supposed to go through these very things. Right? That's what the Bible taught. This random man to them on the road to Emmaus walks through the whole of the scriptures with them. Right? Where it says beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, that means, that means the whole of the Old Testament. 
He walks through it all, starting in Genesis and works through the end. He interpreted to them all the scriptures, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And why was, why was Jesus so you know, sharp with them? Right? Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe. Because they shouldn't have this spiritual blindness anymore. There's already enough for them to know with certainty and believe that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus had risen from the dead. Right? The fact that he would reveal himself to them later would, in a sense, just put an, you know, an exclamation point on it, but they should already know. They already have the answer. Right? It's like a student sitting in class and the teacher said, come ready the next day to answer this one question. Right? Here's where it is in the book. Read this page. It's the part in bold. And they come to class. And they don't know it. So the teacher writes the answer on the board and asks the question. They still, they don't know it. They won't, they, they're not saying it. So the teacher's circling it on the board. Right? It's right here. Here's the answer. You should have it already. Blessed are all those who don't see and still believe, Jesus will tell the Apostle Thomas. Right? There's enough to know him and to see him without that direct physical experience of him. So they go on. Right? Again, probably, I don't know, shocked at who this man turned out to be, somebody that evidently knows all of these things. And they ask him to stay with them, right? It's getting late. And so they sit down at a table. He breaks bread in his hands before them. And then they see, right? Then they recognize him. Right, the story begins by saying, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And here in verse 31, it says, and their eyes were opened and they recognized him. They, they got it all of a sudden. And he vanishes from their sight. Right, the moment that it finally falls into place, he vanishes. Why? Why is that? Well, in part because it, it's no longer necessary that they were able to see him physically with their eyes. Because they, they finally got it. They finally were able to see clearly by faith. They finally believed. Right? He is not purely in the external physical world alone. Right? He truly was the Messiah. He wasn't just a man. He truly was the Messiah, which means he was the Son of God, God in the flesh. Though he was no longer physically with them, he was still with them because he is God and he is everywhere, always. And once you're given eyes to see, right, once your heart is right, you can see him. Right? Maybe not in the same way, you see physically another person in front of you, but not less than that.
Verse 32, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Right? They look back and they, they recognize that their hearts were burning with them, within them. Right? They, were, they were on fire when he was teaching them from the scripture. Their hearts were changing, burning. They were beginning to get it. That would filter out them, right? That would filter out until they sat with him at the table. But it all started with God's word. It started with the scriptures being opened by Jesus. It started by Jesus Christ being proclaimed from the whole of the scriptures. And I don't know, you know, if they're saying, you know, we felt that from the beginning. We recognized that that's what was happening, right? Our hearts were burning within us, and we noticed that. We didn't know why, and now we know why. Or if they're looking back, and they're saying, I didn't, didn't realize what was happening in my heart, right? I didn't realize. I knew something was happening. I didn't know what, but now as I look back, I'm able to say, this is what was happening, right? My heart was being changed, I'm not sure. But either way, they do. They eventually recognize it. right? They get it. Their hearts were moving within them when they heard his words, when they heard the scriptures interpreted and speaking about him. Right? Even if they didn't realize it was him that was speaking those words, they did recognize that their hearts were being changed in some way. You remember, it was late in the evening. Right? They were ready to be done for the day. The day was far spent. Right? They, were, they were intending to stay a while. But as soon as they have this experience, as soon as they get it, they get up and they go right back to Jerusalem. Right? They have to share this with the other disciples. They get back, they hear other stories. Right? This, it's not just them. The other apostles are having similar experiences. And what do they share? Right? What do they say? What do they bring? How do they express what it is that happened to them? How do they sum it all up? Verse 35, Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. He was known to them in the breaking of the bread. You know, a skeptic may say today that if Jesus really wanted to help people believe in him, right, well then he would just physically appear. Or he would have left some kind of, you know, photographic evidence or video. Right, couldn't he do it? He's God. Right, the questioning along those lines often sounds a lot like what was yelled at Christ on the cross. Right? He, he saved others, why can't he save himself? If he's God, why can't he? Why doesn't he? Why doesn't he reveal himself in the way that I want him to? The reality, though, is, as I said, evidence, right? that physical evidence... That's not the problem, right? That's not what is needed. 
there is a spiritual problem that keeps us from truly seeing the resurrected Lord, from truly seeing, right, in, in the sense of, of believing and knowing. And what we see in this story is something about how Jesus reveals himself, right, to those who, who genuinely do want to find him, want to know him. Those who have begun moving toward him and are being drawn to him by his spirit, right, who might still be confused or, or questioning, might be fighting against it in some way. And he draws near and reveals himself. And he really does so here in three primary ways. The first is that the risen Lord makes himself known to us through his word. Jesus Christ is the word of God and the primary way that he reveals himself is through the scriptures. That's even what he did when he was walking with these disciples on the road. He didn't just teach them. He taught them from the scriptures. Right? The risen Lord did that. That's how he led them to see him. That's how he revealed himself to them. When you hear God's word, when you read God's word, and especially when you hear God's word expounded, like you are this morning, it is Jesus Christ himself who is at work to reveal himself to us. It is Jesus Christ speaking from his word. And you might not recognize it, right? but sometimes you do, don't you? Right? Sometimes you walk away thinking, yeah, something was changing. Weren't our hearts burning within us? Right? It's the testimony of the spirit of God, right? testifying of his word. And that doesn't mean... Be careful. It does not mean that you can know Jesus is working because you feel something inside, right? Because you, you have some kind of emotional experience. Well, that can happen in all kinds of ways, right? That, that can happen for all kinds of, of uh, wicked and false ways. You can have false experiences, false emotional reactions. So that's not what this is talking about, right? When they're talking about their hearts burning within them, Right, they're talking about the, the change that comes upon them. Right? That something is, is moving and shaking and, and, and changing me. Something is happening spiritually to you. That's what... Jesus does as his word is exposited and interpreted and you hear it and your heart burns inside you. Right? It, you are refined. Your heart is refined and changed. Right? Purified. The eyes of your heart are opened so that you might see as you've been made able to see. The second thing that we see here is that the risen Lord makes himself known through the sacraments. Right? What we see it here is the breaking of bread. This isn't a mistake. Right? It's not just saying that he ate with them. That's part of it. But what was the last thing that Jesus did with his disciples before he was arrested? 
where he broke bread with them. He gave it to them. This is an allusion back to the Lord's Supper and to its institution. It's in the breaking of bread that he makes himself known more fully to these two disciples. When we participate in the Lord's Supper, it truly is, as the Apostle says, a participation in the body of Christ, right? a way of communing with him. You have here both word and sacrament. And we don't recognize how important these you know, seemingly ordinary things are to the Christian life. Right? It, it might be easy to want something more. Right? Well, if only I had a visionary experience. If only Jesus showed up right in front of me. Wouldn't that be better? Right? Just the regular, you're telling me that the word of God and communion, that that's, that that's it? Right? Wouldn't we rather have a, a seven-mile walk with Jesus? But the disciples didn't even recognize him when he walked with them in that way. It, instead, it was through the word of God expounded and communing with Jesus that they recognized him. And it's through these things that the believers built up and sanctified. Right? It's through these things that you are given eyes to see, that you might truly see him, that he might reveal himself to you. We're told that apart from holiness, no one will see the Lord. Well, this is the means by which God sanctifies us, washing us in his word, making us like him, that we might see. The risen Lord makes himself known and knowable through the word and sacrament. And third, to add to this, connected to all of this, is that the risen Lord makes himself known through his body, the church. In some ways, this is just implicit in all of it. But focusing especially on the breaking of bread, right, this is always connected to the idea of fellowship. It's not something that's done alone. It's something that's done in fellowship around a table with others. True fellowship. Communion speaks not just to the spiritual presence of Jesus Christ with us, nourishing us, but also to the physical presence of the people all around us who have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit that brought Jesus back from the dead. Right, so we have the Word, the Scriptures, the breath of God, God speaking, breathing, inspiring. And then we have the, the bread, the body, the, the physical body. What we have then is a new man the breath of God, the dust of the earth, brought together, made into a new man, a new humanity, a new mankind constituted in Jesus Christ. Right? This is what we call the body of Christ. And that's not just you know, purely a metaphor. But truly it is through the fellowship of the church 
that Jesus, the risen Lord, makes himself known to the world. So word and sacrament and fellowship with his body. Right? This is how Jesus Christ has, in this story, and also is, revealing himself to the world. This is how Jesus reveals himself to you. This is how he has made himself known to you. So brothers and sisters, do you realize that it is Jesus Christ who you have been walking with? It is the risen Jesus who speaks through his word, who communes with you, who you have fellowship with through his body, the church. And when you experience the embrace and kindness of those in the church, it is Jesus Christ showing you his love. Right? When your heart burns within you at the hearing of his word, you are recognizing that it is him speaking. Right? The sheep hear his voice, the voice of their shepherd. As you grow in maturity over years of faithful, obedient walking with him and communion with him, right, you can know that it is him who you have been dining with. If you've always wanted to know him, to draw near to him, then know that he does draw near to those who want to know him. Right? And he does so through that ministry, through the ministry of his people. So Jesus Christ is alive. And I hope you can see him today. And if you can't, that the eyes of your heart will truly be open. He is risen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do pray that you would reveal yourself to us. That you would remove those things that might blind us to the reality of your presence. And that we would recognize you. We would recognize you as you have revealed yourself. Humble us, Lord, and have mercy on us that we might grow in our love and knowledge of you. Would you, Lord, make us alive again. Make us alive with the power that brought you back from the dead. In Christ's name. Amen.